We have much to be grateful for and what this country has done for us, but more importantly, what God has done for us. Today I'm going to be talking about God's judgment. Everybody say God's judgment. Thank you. We are in a worldview series studying the way we see the world through the perspective of God's word. As we look to the Bible, we notice that the Bible teaches us about judgment. I want you to open up with me in your Bibles to the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. It may not seem like a popular passage, but it's one that we need to know. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 3 teaches us that God will judge the world. Starting in verse 3, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love of all of you have for one another is increasing. Somebody say increasing. The love we have for one another should always be increasing. That's how he starts off the letter. Verse 4, therefore among God's churches we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. So among the people of God at this time, the ones in Thessalonica, that's the city, somebody say Thessalonica. Thank you. They were suffering, but having a tremendous amount of faith that was being boasted by Paul to the other churches. I wonder today if I can boast about you and you giving it all up for Jesus. Would I be able to tell your testimony to another church and say, this person always gives their best to God. It doesn't matter what they go through. It doesn't matter what financial hardships they've been through. These people that I know at Metro Praise International... They are trustworthy. They are faithful. They are loving and they are persevering in their faith. Look at verse 5. The persecutions they were suffering were coming from the Roman Empire. It says all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. Whose judgment is right? God's judgment is right. Oftentimes when we go preaching the gospel, people tell us, don't judge me, only God can judge me. God's judgment should scare the hell out of you because God's judgment will be final. So if you here today uh, speak the judgment of God, don't be offended, but rather be warned. Know that we love you. If God did not intend us to speak his judgment to you, then why did he give us the scriptures? Are you listening? So if I tell you what a sin is, am I judging you? No, I'm telling you the judgment of God. Let's go through some sins to wake you up this morning. If I tell you sex outside of marriage is a sin, is that God's judgment or my judgment? That's God's judgment, and God's judgment is right or is it wrong? It's right. Somebody say it's tight, but it's right. Come on, so if I tell you that homosexuality, transgenderism, queer behavior is sinful to God, is that my judgment or is that God's judgment? And is God's judgment right or is it wrong? If I tell you that racism is of the devil, hatred for one another based on a color of skin, an economic status, if I tell you God will judge the hate monger and punish them, is that my judgment or God's judgment? Is God's judgment right or is it wrong? Amen. Bible says God's judgment is right. What is the evidence of that? The evidence is that Christians suffer now. The evidence isn't my new car, my new house. The evidence isn't a blessed life. 
The evidence is that Christians suffer now. When I preach the gospel, I suffer now. Everybody say, you suffer now. The Bible teaches us through the people of Thessalonians that they were suffering. And because of that suffering, the Bible says all this is evidence that God's judgment is right. If they love the world, they'll love you. If they love Jesus, they'll love you. But if they hate Jesus, they'll hate you. Are you listening? All those who love the world love their own kind. All those who love Jesus love their own kind. It is a battle for what is right today. So the Christians suffer not because we're saying something wrong, but because we're saying what is right. All the persecution and trial you are facing now in this country is evidence that God's judgment is right. The Bible teaches us that when people get scared to serve Jesus because of persecution, that they themselves will be punished. The Bible says the cowardly will go to the lake of fire. In these times, if you denied Christ before the emperor or before the gladiator or before the trial, before you were thrown to the wild beast or to be burned alive, the Christians at that time knew your soul was lost. You were a coward. You did not lay down your life for Jesus. So do not be a coward now to your job. Do not be a coward now to social media. Don't be a coward now to Oprah Winfrey. Stand and stand your ground in faith and know that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer. You will be counted worthy. I was reading the stories of the persecution of the early church this week and how worthy they were to be counted as Christians. We often think of their martyrdoms and their persecution to be so romantic and it, to have slow music in the background and that everyone would be applauding them. But it was hideous. It was long, not quick. Oftentimes when the Roman emperors would celebrate in Rome and want to have a week-long or month-long celebration, they would start bringing in the prisoners first and the war captives, and they would have them be slaughtered in the gladiator arenas, and it would be done to the cheers of people. Oftentimes the Christians would already be in jail in the arena and they would be starving, and they would be watching, as you could possibly see in the movie Gladiator. They would be watching through the bars what was happening to the prisoners, to the thieves, to the, to the criminals as they were dying. And oftentimes, then, the Christians would prepare themselves for what they would do when they would come out into the arena. Oftentimes, they would prepare a hymn. And as they were going out into the arena, whether to be burned alive, to be fed to lions, they would come out singing songs to Jesus. That is the historical milieu, as they say, of this letter. Paul himself, the one writing it, gets beheaded in Rome. 
In one of the accounts that I was reading, a young woman was naked. She was being eaten alive, and it says the crowds shouted even more. They got excited watching a naked young girl be torn limb from limb. What was her crime? She was a Christian. You listen to me, you, you coward in this place. You coward, you do not deserve the name of Christian. You listen to me, you lazy person in this place. You do not deserve the name of Christian. My God has a people who are counted worthy of the kingdom of God. If you want that title, you live like a Christian, a Christ follower, and you carry your cross. The lazy will not inherit the kingdom of God. The cowardly will not inherit, and the unbelieving will suffer the wrath of God do not be ashamed of your Jesus do you have your martyrs hymn already prepared if ISIS was to come in here today like they've arrested our brothers and sisters in Pakistan right now do you have your martyrs hymn what would you sing if you were brought to your knees there at one of the seas of Syria and they are blindfolding you and you hear your brother next to you gurgling on his own blood as they take a dull blade and saw off his head? What do you do now? The Bible says in the book of Revelation, they, the true Christians, overcame him, the devil, by the word of their testimony. By not loving their lives even unto death and the blood of the Lamb. They say that when those men there were getting beheaded there at that sea, some of the witnesses have told us now, those who have been captured, I believe, from the ISIS army, said that they could hear them saying the Lord's Prayer. See, the Bible says God is just. Somebody say God is just. If I'm counted worthy to die a martyr's death, it is not because I have done wrong. It is because I have done so right. Ignatius, the church father, said, do not pray for me that I get delivered from the wild beast. As he was being led, to, he was a prisoner of Rome and he was being led to the gladiator arena. He said, do not pray for me that I get delivered. Pray for me that I stand and I stand in faith. And Ignatius was devoured by wild beasts. He was a disciple of John the Apostle. The Bible says God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who you are troubled as well. So listen, there is a promise of relief that God gives us in our suffering. But we must trust God in our suffering. Sometimes people think that when they suffer for God, that it won't feel the same way that it feels for others. No, that's not true. When you lose your job as a Christian because you have stood up for your testimony, you will feel like you have lost your job. When you have lost your friends for being a Christian, you will feel like you lost some friends. The idea that suffering is taken away from us because now we're Christians and some miracle happens is not the biblical story. Jesus felt in his body every whip that was brought against him. You will feel rejection. You will feel mockery. You will feel these things, but God says in the midst of those feelings, you will also feel God comforting you. 
Has anybody been persecuted and felt God comforting you? The Bible says that the ultimate comfort will happen. Now, everybody get this. The ultimate comfort will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So when the Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that actually means something. So we're not praying now that our captors go to hell. We want them to be saved. And oftentimes in the early church, the captors would themselves become Christians when they would watch us suffer with so much courage. We would not beg for our lives. We would only pray that God would strengthen us. Even one time a Roman soldier got into the fire with us because he was so convicted by how we died. We weren't screaming for mercy. We were singing songs. He says, if this is what it means to die as a Christian, then let me live and die with them now. These are the stories of true Christians. Not these weak ones you see now that can't come to church because they got a flat tire or they have to do laundry or they have schoolwork to do. These are lazy cowards. These people do not deserve the name of Christian. They do not walk worthy of a Christian. This man served our country. Thank you. What would we say to those who serve our country in the Marines and in the Army who in the time of their persecution, they give up the, the whereabouts of where everybody else is or during the time of battle, they tuck tail and run the other way for their brothers and sisters to stand there against the enemy by themselves. A mere court-martial is not good enough for them. Are you listening to me? Do not betray your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's judgment is tied into what we suffer now. You must trust God now. You must obey him now. You must not get distracted by what this world is doing now because the Bible says as surely as he came the first time as a baby in a manger, he is coming the second time with his angels in blazing fire. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. See, I'm on the winning side. I'm not a loser. Everybody say, we ain't losers here. So I get excited when I hear Jesus comes back with blazing fire. I'm on the winning side. You scared? Why are you scared? You ain't living right then. I'm not scared. I'm prepared. He will punish those who do not obey God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that the punishment is dealt for those who don't know God and for those who do not obey God. Those who do not know God and those who do not obey God. You must do both if you want to be rewarded on that day. You must know him and you must serve him. Verse 9, they will be punished with everlasting destruction. Just as life is eternal after you die as a believer, the destruction for you as an unbeliever never ceases. You will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. The last thing you will see is his boot kick you out of heaven. Are you listening to me? The last thing you will see is the glory of God kicking you out. People think that they will be evil in this world and come to God and have a negotiation. Well, God, I, I was brought up in a time where, you know, little Wayne was really popular and Drake and Lady Gaga, and this is what we were taught. We were taught to do this, and, you know, I didn't really have a dad, and I didn't have a mom, and people at church didn't always say hi to me and weren't nice to me. 
We think, we think we're going to negotiate with God. The Bible says we will be kicked out of his presence if we do not know him and we do not obey him. May we all know and obey God. Now watch verse 10. Do I have any saints in the place? Because you're either a saint or you're an ain't. Well, I ain't no saint. Well, you already said what you are then, but how many saints are here today? It says, and the, on that day he comes, he'll be glorified in the saints and to be marveled at among those all who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. See, I lived in New Orleans for a while. And uh, they always used to do second lines during the, the, during the funeral procession. And what that would mean is instead of just bringing the body from the, cask, uh, from the car, the hearse, into the, the funeral parlor, they had to make a whole party out of it. So they would do a second line. They would do it all the way around the, the place and dance around. You know, sometimes they would just bring the body in there. But they would have this whole parade they would do in that neighborhood. And one of the songs that they would sing, and you could hear the trumpets, you know, and the, and the trombones, you know, you could just hear it. But I, didn't th- I don't think they know what they were singing. But I got to tell you, we should know what they were singing. And that's, when the saints come marching in. Oh, when the saints come marching in. Oh, Lord, I want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. I want to tell you something. We'll be marching in on their blood. The blood will be as high as a horse's head. The birds will be gorging on their flesh. And I'll be saying to to Bill Gates, give me those keys. This belongs to me now. We'll be taking the king's crowns and smashing it on the ground. I'm about ready to read to you Revelation. I'm going to show you what it looks like when the saints come marching in. When the saints come marching in, it is a bloodbath. And we are shouting. We are celebrating. We are celebrating like the French did when they stomped on the blood of Germans after they put them in Holocaust camps with the Jews and everybody else. You are stepping over the corpses of upwards of 300 million people when you go to Jerusalem. You're going to read the book of Revelation. I want everybody to get this. You have people that you and I both know, we know people that we will be stomping on as we get in there. And I want you to get this, because I don't know how much more time I got to explain it, because I got to read a lot of it in just a moment. But I want you to get this. We'll be celebrating that birds are eating their flesh while we are eating the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are watching that. Your Jesus did not come to play games. He came to die for a wicked world. You want to see how serious Jesus takes sin? Look at what he did for us. You reject that. What do you think is left? You didn't give yourself a body. You didn't give yourself this oxygen. You didn't give yourself this earth that we see, the sky. You will pay for it in hell. You will pay for it. If I did not know Christ the day I was born again, if I would have died before that day, I would have known that hell and that punishment. And all of us were there at one time. So we ought not to think that it's by anything other than the grace of God. Somebody say God's judgment. 
Let me read the book of Revelation, starting in verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. His name is Jesus as well, but that's what he's called here. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. So he's got a secret title that he keeps for himself. Listen to this description. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. This is before the battle has started. What blood has he dipped his robe in? His blood. Now I want you to understand this. There is blood either way. There is blood either way. You let your sins be paid for by the blood of Jesus, and that blood that is on his robe that signifies you're on his side, or the blood that you will pay from your own flesh as it splatters on the ground from his horse stomping on you and the angels of heaven and your soul going to the lake of fire. Now, I'm going to read it, and you just tell me if I'm explaining it right, because some of y'all looking at me like y'all don't believe it. But I've read the Bible before I got here, so you'll have to tell me if I prepared my message correctly. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. That's all those who have died before this day. So before God comes back, if you die, you're going to be a part of this army. If you're alive when he comes back, you're going to go whoop, whoop. You're going to go from here to there and be in that army and watch it coming down with him. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. You think Game of Thrones has an iron scepter, or you think those guys are powerful. This Jesus we're talking about here makes them bow down and lick his boots. Now get the image here. Because it should terrify you if you're not right with God. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. You all have seen wine presses, haven't you? Little grapes go into a, a bucket, and then what do they do? They squash them. The Bible says we are going to squash the nations until their blood spills out to 300 plus, uh, 300 million die that day. He does it with the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe, he has on his thigh this what is written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now I want you to hear what this angel says to the earth. This angel sees that it's coming and now that it's time... He'll sound out a loud voice. He'll stand in the sun so that we all can see him. And he'll cry out in a loud voice, Birds, you birds, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings and generals and the mighty of their horses and their riders, the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Come on, birds, get ready to eat. It says sinners on that day will cry out to the rocks. Fall on me now. Spare me now from being squashed by God and being eaten by these birds. 
Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. I mean, this is quite a statement here, but it doesn't surprise me. A supernatural event is happening. Jesus is leading a, an army coming from heaven. An angel has cried out to birds to come and eat the flesh of those who die. And instead of these folks stopping these 300 million uh, that the Bible said are going to gather on the day of Armageddon, instead of them stopping and crying out, they with all of their pride say, bring it on. We're ready. See, that's the same pride that I see right now in Oprah's face. That's the same pride that I see in Bill Gates. It's like, if there's a God, give it your best shot. We'll, we'll show you what we're made of. See, this idea is, is that man is not really being sent to hell. The idea is man is choosing to go to hell because he doesn't want to give up his territory. See, remember when we talked at the very beginning how it got to be a mess to begin with? Might be good that I remind you of some of these things now. That when we were first created, it was God's earth, and it was God's garden, and it was God's creation done His way. But He gave us a choice. You want to pull the eject button to pull the ejection lever? You want to get out of it my way? You want to experience something else? Then just eat of this fruit. You'll have all the knowledge you want of good and evil. You'll get to decide what's right and wrong. You'll be your own God. I want you to understand, when that happened, everything else was a result of that. And so corruption came, and then the catastrophe of Noah's flood. And by the way, they have never laughed at us more than they laugh at us as Christians when we talk about Noah's ark. Oh, my gosh, Noah's ark. Y'all believe in Noah's Ark? Oh, that's so funny. How they fit all the animals? Man, that's so stupid. The Bible said in 2 Peter, as they mock Noah's Ark, because they forget it was judged by, the earth was judged by water, it is showing that the time is coming near because they shall soon be judged by fire. And so we see that Christ came to spare us from this, but I want everybody to get this. Before he can make it right, before he can do this entirely, he has to judge everything that we did over here in these parts. And so it's either you accept the judgment of Jesus, uh, Jesus on the cross, or you're going to face the judgment of God in eternal hellfire. Somebody will pay. It's either Jesus or you. And so these kings basically say, we'll take you on. But the beast is instantly captured, the Antichrist, and with the false prophet. And the signs that he performed, with these signs he had deluded, had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. So what will happen is a world government will come at one point with technology and with religion and get us to worship or get the people to worship this false person, this false god, this false antichrist. And if you think right now it's going to be hard for them to do it, my friends, all you got to do is study a little bit. Look how many followers Oprah Winfrey has. Just put an Oprah Winfrey with an Obama and some magic tricks and you'll get the whole world worshiping them. Are you listening to me? All you need is just a few tricks, just a few tricks, a few free things, and people will bow down. How do you think they got on Hitler's uh, a jock? How do you think they got up all on Stalin? 
people will be that if they don't worship God, they'll worship something else. Everybody here who thinks that uh, it's silly to worship God, you worship a basketball star then. Let me see what you got on your phone and what you do. You worship your money when you can't take none of it with Everybody's worshiping something. Are you listening? But listen here. He just swoops up the Antichrist and just tosses him right into the lake of fire. He takes the false prophet and just tosses them right into the lake of fire. It's nothing. It's not, this is not like the Avengers where you got to watch the next movie, the next movie, to find out how this thing ends. It's not even a battle. We shouldn't even call it the battle of Armageddon. It's, it's literally the slaughter of Armageddon. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. I don't know how that's going to look. I don't know if he's going to speak the word and power is just going to emanate from his mouth and just cut them all in half. I have no idea what's going to happen, but it's going to destroy them in moments and then the birds are going to gorge themselves on their flesh. That's, that's within 30 seconds of it coming down. Are you all listening? That's, that's the first 30 seconds. Now another angel comes down. He has the key to the abyss. This is hell. Now remember there's a difference between hell and the lake of fire. The lake of fire is where everybody's going to go eventually. Some are getting tossed there now. But hell is that kind of middle ground that people go to like the county jail. They're there now until they go to the lake of fire. But for this purpose, the, the, the angel takes Satan. Now notice what he's called here, the dragon, the ancient serpent, going back to the very garden takes him, seizes him. There's not even a battle between this angel and, and the devil. He just takes him and just grabs him right by the neck and just drags him and binds him up and throws him into hell. Now watch this. We get the picture that now we'll be able to see that. So lake of fire is somewhere off from this earth. But we believe somehow in another dimension, hell or the abyss is right in the same area of this earth. And so now, as we'll get to learn the next thousand years we reign with Christ, that we'll actually be able to see him tied up and the others who are there with him in hell suffering. Threw him in the abyss, locked him there for a thousand years so that he could not deceive the nations. But he'll get set free in just a short amount of time in a little bit. Keep reading. Now, verse 4, I saw thrones on which were seated, and those who were seated had the power and authority to judge. Do you now know that God himself does not judge only the nations? Now he puts in charge the Christians who have been faithful. The Supreme Court will be the 12 disciples minus Judas who killed himself. And I believe Paul takes his spot. That's my opinion. From the Supreme Court of the judges in Jerusalem, which you have to read Revelation to get more of that, we then see thrones set up all over the earth. Thrones in Chicago in charge. Thrones in every city. Thrones in Beijing. And I saw the souls, the souls of those who have been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image, nor had received its mark on their foreheads and hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ how many years? 
Now, I want you to understand this. The thousand-year reign of Christ is as real as the time we're experiencing right now. And as real as the resurrection of Jesus' body was so that Thomas could touch it is as real as our bodies are. And as real as humans are now living and dying is as real as earth will go on for a thousand years. But we will be the rulers over the people for that thousand years. Now some of us will have great rewards and will be over great regions and territories. Others of us, you'll be there. You'll be resurrected, but you'll be the janitor. You'll be happy you're there, but we'll know that you barely got there. I'm just being honest. The Bible talks about that. You'll be saved by the skin of your teeth. You ever get like that little skin there, that little kind of film after you haven't brushed your teeth for a while, you know, that little little film? That's how you go and slip in. Just, Jesus saved me like the thief on the cross. I need you, Lord. And praise God because of his grace, you won't go to hell. But you won't have the rulership, the kingship. Why? Because the Bible says you never stored up great treasures in heaven. See, the Bible says store up treasures in heaven. See, the kingdom of heaven eventually comes down. So we're not going to stay in heaven very long. If you die now, you're not going to be there very long because it's soon to come to earth. I said it this way in a prior sermon. Everybody on earth that's backslidden wants to get to heaven to get out of this earth. But everybody on fire for Jesus, the saints in heaven, want to bring it down to earth. It says the rest did not come to life until the thousand years ended. Those are the sinners. They don't get to come to life. They stay in hell. So this is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who take part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with them. How many years? A thousand years. So the Bible says those who have not served Christ, they don't get to participate in that first resurrection. They're going to take part in another resurrection, but it's really a resurrection to death. As I've told you guys before, everybody lives once and everybody dies once. It's up to you whether or not you want to live again or if you want to die again. Your second death will be eternity in hell, fire without Jesus Christ, or your second life will be forever with Jesus Christ. You all live once, you all die once, right? Live and die once. That's the same for everybody. But now do you want to live again or do you want to die again? That's why the Bible says be born again and prepare yourself for the resurrection to come. When the thousand years are over. So some people ask, why did God do a thousand years? Why doesn't he just go right to the kingdom with eternal uh, things there that there's no longer death, there's no longer the earth as it is now, night and day and those kinds of things. Why does he allow it to go on kind of as usual? I believe for a thousand years God wants to show Satan chained up and all the sinners chained up in hell that he can do what he wants to do on this earth and that he rules over wickedness and evil. So literally, he will allow us to remain on the earth with humans in their natural state while Satan and those are being tormented in abyss. We will know that because God is good for that whole purpose. Just God is good. I'll be a governor because God is good. And Satan will be reminded of that for a thousand years. And all those who followed him. So little Wayne in his torment, if he does not repent, will see somehow from his 
dimension of the abyss will see us for a thousand years. And I want to be very clear with you, time does not go away. When it's, because we're going to learn in just a moment that when everyone gets thrown into the lake of fire, when hell gets into the lake of fire, it says they are there night and day. 24 hours will feel like 24 hours in hell. You will feel, have you ever been burned for a few seconds? It will feel like that for 24 hours. Time will not be ethereal. Not like you're in a dream and you're in one place and then you pop up in another and then you're a child and then you're, no, no, no. You will be in hell as conscious as you are now. And here's the good news. You'll be on earth ruling and reigning with Christ as conscious as you are now. As time passes now is as time will continue to pass. So after a thousand years, Satan is released from prison and he will go out and deceive the nations one more time. Gog and Magog, we don't know if they're actual nations or a, a, a prophecy referring to spiritual people doing the wrong thing as a spiritual nation. Because during our time of ruling and reigning, people may not like what we're doing. And they may say, we're going to try to rebel against Christ and maybe the devil will help us out. So whatever happens, he tries to do another battle. And they march like the sand on the seashore. So you, you would think, listen to me, everybody. You would think that our Bible would say, once we all saw God, everybody's cool again. But they're not. And even those who lived upon the new earth with us as natural humans still won't even want to serve him. Do you understand that? There will then be a large multitude that when Satan gets out, and you can use all of the dramatic stuff in your mind as you want. Maybe uh, people are saying they're doing seances and talking to him, and, and so maybe they start doing little rebellious things, and they start saying, hey, I've talked to him. He's going to break loose out of the prison, and we can rise up against our creator. You say, that's stupid. Who would do that? A third of the angels left with him the first time. You will be surprised what you'll do for your sin. You will be surprised what you'll do out of your own self-deception. And so they actually marched, the Bible says, they marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people. They come around us. When Satan has been loose, because God lets him to be loose, but maybe he convinces them and says, hey, I broke free. Here we are. Let's all go to Jerusalem. Let's sack the, the apostles, the disciples there. Let's take over their city. And the Bible says fire comes down from heaven and just devours them. <sighs> That's it. End of that battle. Now watch this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. Now he goes into the lake of fire, burning sulfur where the beast and false prophet have been. Now notice how long they're tormented for. How long are they tormented for? Night and day, or day and night forever and ever. Does it ever stop? No. The period of time is exactly in Genesis when he says this was the first day, and this, this was night, evening, and morning rather, and that was the first day. Evening and morning, that was the first day. It literally is using the same exact language. That's why I believe God created the earth in six literal days, and I believe literal days will exist after he destroys the earth, and people will suffer forever in hell or enjoy his presence on the new earth. Then I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it. Now watch this. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. At this moment, the dimensions change. Get this. The dimensions now change. When he sits on his throne, 
Everything we have known in the entire mattered space and time universe flees and goes away. And now we are in somewhat of an ether world. And now we're going to be judged. She just <laughs> makes everything you know, everything. Remember, heavens and earth, what she created, Genesis chapter 1. He now <laughs> makes them disappear. And now we're standing in this ether world, a world that is only spiritual. We see a great throne. The dead and small, great and small stand before it. The books are open, and another book was opened. Notice there are plural books opened and then a singular book open, which is the book of life. The singular book is the book of life where names must be written beforehand. The books, plural, that are opened are the deeds of all mankind. In this ether world, we will now watch every single person who has ever lived be judged. You will watch the entire thing. I don't know how it will feel because y'all bored right now. But it's going to be a long time. No one will go anywhere. God must give us supernatural strength to stay up, to watch it, sinner and saint alike. We'll watch every single judgment. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. Notice those are all the things in this universe, this creation. Lake of fire is in another place, another kind of universe. Each person was judged according to what they had done. That's why it's plural books. Every line will be the words you have spoken, the thoughts you have given against God or against your man, fellow man. All of them will be there. Then death and hell, notice this, death and hell are thrown into the lake of fire. And this place, as we learned in Thessalonians, is shut up from the presence of God. So now God, somehow in his own power, creates a place where his presence is not, though he sustains it. Fire from the lake of fire is sustained by God. Not by wood, it is sustained by God, but his presence is not there. What some people make here is a distinguishment between God's energies and God's essence. His energies will be there sustaining it, but his presence is not. And so those people who think that, that because they're so miserable, they're going to commit suicide, they have no idea what they're going to face in misery in the lake of fire. If you don't like depression, don't kill yourself because you'll be depressed for all of eternity. If you hear now, do not like the pain of being alone and hurt and emotional despair. Do not go to hell if you don't like uh, hatred and anger and all of these vile things. Do not go to hell because you'll be there by yourself, but yet the torment will be many. The Bible says the worm dies not and the fire is never quenched. And what we believe, because we weren't around at that time, but historians believe that the worms, plural, that do not die are the memories you have of this earth. And they crawl in and in out of your soul, tormenting you of what you knew God was to be and what, uh, who you were to be for God. So you are physically tormented and you're in mental anguish. The entire time. And anyone whose name was not written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. Now notice this right here. Whenever we see the word heaven, we literally mean the three levels of heaven. There is 
the atmosphere level of heaven that the Bible refers to, like where we see clouds and birds fly. There is the second level of heaven where we see the stars and all the planets. And it looks like there used to be a lot of life out there, but now it's all dead. I don't believe in alien life, but it looks like it might have been a lush planetary, uh, a, a lush system of live planets that were like garden planets. The Bible says Satan would go from one to the other. We might have been able to occupy them. Who knows? And then the third level, is, as Paul says, is the level of God's throne. Now, because heaven has come to earth, what was once that place of God's throne has now changed. It's a different place. Remember, heaven did not always exist as God's throne. There was a time when it was only God that existed. So he made what would become heaven in that sense, and the angels and all of those things. He made that on that part in Genesis chapter 1. But it's very clear that the first heaven including plural heavens and first earth, have all passed away. So wherever God has dwelt before will not be the same because we're going to learn God comes now to earth. So those angels are now going to come to earth. Wherever that place is where we go now until he comes will not be there anymore. And the way we see the starry host will not be there anymore the way we see it now. And then the earth as we see it now will pass away, and you'll notice there's some differences. Number one, there's no sea. So there is no more now oceans. That would be what they would call a sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Who is the bride of Christ? The church. So the church is symbolic of the city. So the city and the church both come down together. And I heard a loud voice from heaven, from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. That's why he doesn't need that place we have called heaven before. He doesn't need it. Now whatever heaven was, it is now here on this new earth. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Now, at this moment, I believe that we forget about the wicked. So my sister Jenny, who died in, in drinking and driving, chances are she's been in hell right now, tormented. I will see her again on Judgment Day, and the last thing I'll see of her is her getting the boot from God to the lake of fire. But then I will see a new heaven and a new earth, just putting myself in this perspective. And I believe when God wipes away my tears from my eyes, I'll never think of her again. The Bible says the mother will even forget her womb. My mother, who is a Christian, will no longer remember her, sister, her daughter. You will not be in the new earth thinking about Hitler. You will not think about the things they did to you or what they have done to this earth. The Bible says the memory of the wicked will perish. When he wipes that tear from your eye, you'll no longer be thinking of the, the blood on the streets and birds eating flesh. You'll no longer be thinking about the Antichrist. You'll no longer be thinking about the devil because there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So listen to me. The time to weep is now. The time to pray for Oprah's salvation is now. The time for us to go preach the gospel is now. The time to go be missionaries in Syria and Afghanistan and Pakistan is now. Because there will come a time when God will judge the sinful. They'll be cast into the lake of fire and they will be remembered no more. And then Jesus continues on teaching John the Revelator. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making 
everything new. So just as we've been made new spiritually, now the whole entire universe has been made new. Then he said, write this down. So this is what we are given 2,000 years later that John wrote down. John, what are you to tell us? Write this down, God said, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. So everybody get this. In the mind of God, it is done. There is nothing else he has to do. I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious, this is now you. It's your choice whether you're a winner or a loser with God. No one will go to hell with an excuse of being too cowardly. The coward can have their heart changed and made victorious and brave in Jesus' name. Just like John Wesley and the other preachers used to say, make our weak hearts strong and brave, send the fire. We should pray if our hearts are cowardly, our hearts are lazy. Lord, make me victorious that I may inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the Second death. How many are ready for this day? The Bible ends. The last verses of Revelation end. Not with them saying, oh, don't come, God. We're so scared. With them shouting out, Maranatha, which means even so. Now, Jesus, come. We are ready for you. We are ready for you, Jesus. Like John the Baptist and his generation, Father, we are preparing the way of the Lord. We say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Seek the Lord while he may be found. You sinners, stop your laughing and your playing. Wash your hands, you dirty sinners. Weep and howl now that your mercy from God may come because in the day of judgment, you will have your punishment then. All sinners need to repent now. All wicked people need to repent now. Everyone needs to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. And for those of us who are saved, let us work from our salvation with fearing and trembling. With fear and trembling. Paul went on to say, therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Therefore knowing these things are going to happen we teach men the scriptures of the God who loves them and in closing let's say it together John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you believe it would you stand up today. Let's give it up for Jesus who died so that we might live. Hallelujah. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? How else would you want me to preach on the judgment of God? Would you want me to take it as a joke? I'm asking a question. How else would you want me to preach on the judgment of God, saints? Don't I have to take it serious? Don't I have to take this serious? 
Don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. What are you doing for eternity? What are you doing for the time to come? What are you doing for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Leonard Ravenhill said it like this. Is what you're living for worth Christ dying for? What are you going to do? I'm going to give my life to him. That's why I preached yesterday on Pulaski and Addison. Some mocked, some listened, some got saved. Can you put up the picture on the uh, pro presenter of what Catherine put up on my Facebook page of me preaching yesterday, please? Sometimes people hear preaching like this and they say, Pastor, man, you, you're too hard. You don't love us. It's the opposite. I love you. That's why I read the Bible to you. Other than my little bit of fluctuation in my voice doing what preachers do, we are theatrical, you know, and I am Italian, so be patient with me. Other than me being a little preachy, what did I really change of what we read? Birds will eat flesh. Millions will die. Christians will be made governors and rulers and kings. People are being tossed into the lake of fire like it's nothing. There's no battle. There's no argument. There's no more discussion. Judgment is brought by the books, line upon line of every single one of our lives. I don't know how else to explain that, but as I just did, I have a second service. I'll pray and say, God, is there anything I need to share better? Thank you, sir. But that's why I stand here. I'm doing all that I know for this. I don't know what else to do. I talk to people all the time, and they don't believe these words anymore. And that's one of the signs of the time that they wouldn't believe. I actually point it out to them. I say, you're mocking my Bible. The Bible says you would mock my Bible. That's what it says. And then you talk to people like the woman who cuts my hair. You know what she says? Oh, it's so confusing now. There's so many religions. The Bible said that in the end times, if it were even possible, the elect, the true Christians might even fall away if he didn't come back soon enough. He said false prophets would arise everywhere. That's why you see Louis Farrakhan here. You see Islam here. The black Hebrew Israelites here. Jehovah Witnesses here. Mormons here. Priests here. You see all of these things, and it's like, whoa, it's so confusing. They, they all couldn't be right, but yeah, I don't think they all could be wrong. Maybe, maybe it's a religious buffet, and I just need to take a little Buddha. I need to take a little Roman Catholicism. Do the sign of the cross. Take a little bit of Christianity. Take a little bit of Louis Farrakhan justice warrior stuff and oh man let me just take a little here a little hinduism let me do my yoga and be a vegan bible said that's exactly what it would be like the bible literally says if he did not cut the day short that all of us would be deceived by all that happens here because it will be that deceiving he has to cut it short he said even the main apostles the main prophets would fall in this generation if it wasn't cut short so for our sake, it will be cut short so that we don't lose hope. But yet he holds us accountable to not give up either. 
So this is what I hope you do. Listen, because it says in Thessalonians, don't trade the truth now. Because if you trade it now, you'll lose your bearings. If your compass is broke now, you, know, you won't know what to do in a storm. Keep your compass working now. Guard your heart now. Love God now. So that when it keeps getting worse, your compass works. And you can go, man, that, that world leader sure looks powerful. And wow, he sure is nice. And look at how he brought peace to the earth and prosperity. And wow, look at the false prophet who does all these nice things for the world. Wow. Instead of, instead of you falling for it, you'll, you'll have the bearing of your compass and be like, hold on. It doesn't line up to my true north. True north, true north here is Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except by him. I can't fall for that. God, I ask you to help us. Let us first make sure of our salvation. Every head bowed and eyes closed, please. Are you sure of your salvation before we go here today? Are you sure that if you died, you would go to heaven? If not, accept Jesus into your heart right now. Come up to the front even right now and let one of these people pray for you, one of our, our elders or deacons. If you're here today and you're not following Christianity like you know you should, come on up. We'll pray for you right now to repent, to get right. Nobody's embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed. They're not embarrassed, so don't you be embarrassed. Come on. And if you're here today and you're living for Jesus and you say, I want to see my friends and family come, pray for them right now. Pray for them. Pray for your sister. Pray for your brother. Pray for your mom. Pray for your dad so that they do not get forgotten in the kingdom to come. Take a few moments before we leave this church today to make serious your prayers for others. No one can say, Joe does not take this serious. I can say, I've preached it and I've prayed it. A few moments right now. Pray, pray, pray. Jesus, save our nation. Save these people, God. Save my neighbors. Save our children. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Jesus. Mercy, Lord. Mercy, Lord. Mercy, Jesus. Mercy, God. And now ask you to go, ask God to ask uh, to help you to go do something about it. Come on, ask God to empower you. That's what he said he would do. He said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Pray for power to be a witness. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with speaking in other tongues, come up now. We'll pray for you, dear Christian, that you can be filled with power and courage to preach, to be bold on your job. You're not the first Christian to have to live in a secular world. You're not the first person to have to face persecution. This is how God's judgment is proved right. They hate you because they hated him. Come receive power right now. A few moments before we go. A few moments for those to get saved who need to get saved. Those who need to get right with God. Those who need to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. Come on up right now. Don't waste time. The army of heaven will be coming soon.